So maybe I will go ahead now and begin with our talk to make sure that we have plenty of time for everything and for you to have a nice discussion after I finish. Marilyn also saying hello from Duval. Yeah, nice to be here. Everybody, it's nice for us to be here. So, let me get to my notes here. So as I mentioned earlier, for the next three months, we're going to be doing a series on the three jewels or the three refuges, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So last week, for those of us, those of you who were here, um, we formally took refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And Suze gave a really wonderful talk on what it means to take refuge. And she touched on the ways that we might approach all three of these jewels. And so for the rest of this month, our focus will be on the first jewel, the Buddha. So today I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically about the Buddha and what it means to take refuge in the Buddha. And to begin with, I think it's good to acknowledge that it isn't necessarily such an easy thing to understand what it means to take refuge in the Buddha. And in a lot of religious traditions, taking refuge means taking refuge in a god or some form of deity or deities might mean praying to that God for help or good fortune for yourself or your friends or family. Placing trust in that God for guidance, for saving oneself or freeing oneself from one's faults or one's sins. But in our tradition, it's a little bit different since especially in Theravadan practice, we really emphasize the humanity of the Buddha. And so probably don't think of him, think so much about taking refuge in him in the way we would take refuge in a, a God, you know, like a God that would protect us or take away difficulties in our lives or might be a savior for us or that is like a controlling force in the universe that we worship. So how do we take refuge? Well, that is something we can think about and ask ourselves. The famous Tibetan teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, who was one of the most important teachers bringing Tibetan Buddhism to the West and also maybe kind of a controversial teacher too, but one with a lot of wisdom. He put it this way. He said, you take refuge in the Buddha not as a savior, not with the feeling that you have found something to make you secure, but as an example, as someone you can emulate. He's an example of an ordinary human being who saw through the deceptions of life, both on the ordinary and spiritual levels. So taking refuge in the Buddha in no way means regarding him as a god but as a teacher, whose example we can follow. So we can think of that sense of the Buddha as a teacher whose example we follow, but beyond that kind of sense, 
what might taking refuge involve. So last week, Suze talked about taking refuge on the outer level and the inner level, as described by uh, James Barras, who is a really wonderful teacher based in the Spirit Rock Center um, down south in California. But I think that James Barras isn't the only one who has this idea about taking refuge on several levels because I found something quite similar in an article by Jack Cornfield, who's one of the original teachers of our Western Insight tradition and a founder of the Spirit Rock Meditation Center. And in his analysis, he talks about three levels of Buddhist refuge, outer, inner, and innermost. So this is pretty similar to what Suze introduced us to last week, but maybe with a little bit of extra detail or nuance. And so I'd like to use this organization in my talk today, but focusing just on the Buddha, not on the other two refuges. So first, there's this outer level. And on the outer level, um, Jack says we can take refuge in the historical Buddha, who he refers to as a remarkably wise human being who pointed the way to inner freedom. And so this is pretty similar to what Trungpa Rinpoche said about taking refuge in the Buddha as a teacher whose example we can follow. And when we think about it this way, one aspect of taking refuge in the Buddha is becoming familiar with the story of his life, what he did on his journey to find freedom and to teach others to do the same. And there are lots of ways we might do this. And for myself, I've started reading Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Old Path, White Clouds, which is his retelling of the life of the Buddha, and it's a really lovely and accessible book. But you might also turn to the suttas for stories of the Buddha's life or other books. And as you do this, think about stories or actions of the Buddha that are especially inspiring and encouraging to you. And that's one way of taking refuge. And for me, one of the stories that's especially inspirational is the story of how the Buddha was tempted by Mara on the night of his awakening. And you might remember from that story how, as the Buddha sat there, determined to really reach this deepest understanding and enlightenment, the demon Mara, who's considered kind of a personification of delusion and temptation and all the forces that work against our awakening, came to attack the Buddha in all sorts of ways. He brought his beautiful daughters to tempt him with desire. But the Buddha said, no, I see you, Mara. I don't need this. He promised him riches and power and a great kingdom. But again, the Buddha said, no, I see you, Mara. He tried to topple him from his seat with all sorts of attacks. But these attacks and weapons turned into flowers. And finally, he tried to tempt him with doubt, asking him, who do you think you are to imagine that you really could achieve this awakening, that you have a right to even do this. But the Buddha said again, no, I see you, Mara. And he touched his hand to the ground and called upon the earth as his witness that yes, this was his right. 
this awakening was his right. And so for me, you know, when my own practice feels difficult and I feel like I might want to give up because I'm caught up in wanting something else or in discomfort or pain or most of all because I have that doubt in myself, who am I to do this? I can remember that the Buddha experienced these things too and so feel like, you know, maybe like the Buddha, I can also recognize delusion and say, I see you, Mara, and keep going. And knowing that as a human being, I do have the right to follow this path. But of course, it can be challenging to take refuge in the Buddha's example, because as Suze mentioned last week, you know, he sets a really high bar. He's very amazing. And... We certainly might feel that his actions really aren't applicable to us because he's such a special being, even if we don't think of him as a god or a deity. But Trungpa Rinpoche tries to guide us away from this kind of thinking, and I'm going to quote some of what he says because it's so, like, (laughs) straightforward. It's kind of funny. It's like he's coming right out of his time frame of, you know, the 60s and 70s. He says, the example of the Buddha's life is applicable because he started out in basically the same kind of life that we lead, with the same confusion. But he renounced that life in order to find the truth. He went through a lot of religious trips. He tried to work with the theistic world of Hinduism of the time and realized there were a lot of problems with that. Then, instead of looking for an outside solution, begin working on himself. Until he did that, and this is sort of funny, he was just a wishy-washy spiritual tripper. (laughs) I don't know if I'd say that, but that's one way to put it. So taking refuge in the Buddha as an example is realizing that our case history is in fact completely comparable with his. And then deciding that we are going to follow his example and do what he did. So it, he, you know, reminds ourselves that the Buddha himself was leading a life where he was confused, he saw things that didn't make sense to him, and he decided to seek a solution. And we can take inspiration from this. Especially, even if we're confused about what awakening might mean and might see ourselves very far from any kind of enlightenment, we can take inspiration and refuge in the way that the Buddha stopped looking for an outside source to solve his problems and begin to look within and work on himself. And this is something we can all begin to do. But before I continue, I think it's worth mentioning that not regarding the Buddha as a deity doesn't mean there's no place for the spirit of devotion in our practice. So taking refuge in the Buddha can also mean connecting with our really profound sense of respect, admiration, and gratitude toward this amazing being who gave us so much with these teachings. And we can express this through rituals like bowing to an image of the Buddha as part of our practice, maybe at the beginning and ending of our sitting period, maybe having images of the Buddha around us in our homes or at a home altar. 
But of course, the rituals themselves aren't the most important thing. It's the feeling behind them. And I know in my own um, oops, daily practice, I don't always necessarily think about or connect with ritual and devotion, but definitely there are times, and I think they're especially strong when I go on retreat, where that spirit of devotion really does take hold. And when I bow to the statue of the Buddha at the front of the meditation hall with this really true sense of gratitude and love, and it is a kind of a refuge and inspiration for my practice. So it may be something for us to, you know, connect with and tune into more than we usually do. Tara Brock talks about this aspect of refuges, taking refuge in the living spirit of the Buddhist awakened heart and mind. And that spirit that really cares about our suffering. And she also expresses this as surrendering or taking refuge in the boundlessness of compassion that's a characteristic of the Buddha. So not so much in the sense of asking the Buddha to fix our pain, but as she puts it, letting go into a refuge that's vast enough to hold that pain and fear with love. So I think that's a really beautiful way to think about taking refuge. And the next level of refuge in Jack Cornfield's organization is inner refuge. And we talked about this a little bit last week. And here we shift from an emphasis on the historical Buddha to a refuge that sees the Buddha, the Buddha nature of all beings. And maybe one way that's easiest to relate to this aspect of refuge is the sense of taking refuge in our own Buddha nature, in our potential to awaken. Tara Brock puts this beautifully, saying, in the most fundamental way, taking refuge in the Buddha means taking refuge in our own potential for liberation. In order to embark on a spiritual path, we need faith that our own heart and mind have the potential to awaken. The true power of Buddha's story, the power that has kept it alive for all these centuries, rests in the fact that it demonstrates what is possible for each of us. Now, of course, taking refuge in our own Buddha nature isn't always such an easy thing to do. I know that's true for me. You know, I find that if there's a place where I really have troubling and disabling doubt, it's this kind of doubt in myself, you know. And I think I'm probably not alone. I think a lot of us often feel that we can follow this path, we can do our practice, we can see some improvement in our ability to handle our lives and some freedom from our delusions and our painful ways of thinking and acting. But we put limits on that. We have this sense of, well, yeah, I can have freedom, but only so much. And feel like that ultimate freedom, nibbana or awakening, or whatever you would like to call it, whichever word you use is beyond us. So I feel like it can really be a challenge and requires a lot of faith for us to take refuge at this level, you know. Not a blind faith, but a refuge that's willing to keep going and to trust and, um, you know, maybe to really be willing to see 
the beautiful qualities of mind when they do arise. And bringing this another step, we can take refuge in the potential for awakening in everyone we meet. And this is a really lovely viewpoint, you know, it supports us in our ability to offer kindness, compassion to all beings, even the ones that are difficult. And to take and appreciate guidance, even it comes from unexpected people and unexpected places where we wouldn't think we would find Buddha nature. And if we can think of the Buddha nature in all beings, other beings too, this supports us in our sense of the potential for awakening in ourselves. Buddha nature of all beings, even ourselves. So the final refuge, level of refuge that Jack Cornfield talks about is the innermost refuge. And this is something that even goes beyond having a sense of faith in Buddha nature. And as he describes it, he says, here we take refuge in timeless consciousness and freedom. And as Anjan Shah explains it, who was the teacher of Jack Cornfield, he says, we take refuge in the Buddha. But what is this Buddha? When we see with the eye of wisdom, we know that the Buddha is timeless, unborn, unrelated to any body, any history, any place. Buddha is the ground of all being, the realization of the truth of the unmoving mind. So the Buddha was not enlightened in India. In fact, he was never enlightened, was never born, and never died, this timeless Buddha is our true home and our abiding place. And those are really beautiful words, but <laughs> maybe difficult and confusing. I know I've found them somewhat confusing and I don't know if I really grasp everything that he is saying here. But after thinking about this for a while, I feel like for me, at least for my understanding now, this means something like, taking refuge in awareness itself, or maybe taking refuge in the present moment. We might say taking refuge in those moments when we touch on the timeless or on freedom, but I'm almost a little bit hesitant to do that because those moments can seem too fleeting, whereas awareness or the present moment, well, I think we can have a sense that those are accessible anytime, anywhere, even if we get distracted and we aren't always able to abide there. So this innermost level may be something of a mystery for us to explore. So these are three ways of taking refuge we can consider. Taking refuge in the historical Buddha, the example of his life, taking refuge in Buddha nature that we may find in all of us in the potential for own, our own awakening and the awakening of others and taking refuge in awareness itself and our own experience of those qualities of presence, timelessness, and freedom that are there in the present moment.
So let's just sit for a minute. Maybe reflecting on all these different ideas. And I'd like to end with another quote from the Dhammapada from the chapter it's translated as flowers. And this is an excerpt from that section. Who shall conquer this world and the world of death with all its gods? Who shall discover the shining way of the law? You shall even as the man who seeks flowers finds the most beautiful and the rarest. So thank you for your attention and now we have some time for group discussion to kind of maybe see what all these thoughts about taking refuge might mean. So those of us who aren't able, those of you who aren't able to stay can say goodbye now and you know, I realize that people have different, you know, demands on their time. So. Um, very happy to have you here for the talk and the sit. And I'll wait a few moments in any case anybody that needs to say goodbye can say goodbye. So it looks like maybe we are ready to do start our groups. Oops. <laughs> so, um, for our discussion today, I'd invite you to share what taking refuge in the Buddha means to you. And it might be being inspired by the historical Buddha, Buddha maybe reflecting on your own Buddha nature, maybe just in awareness itself, you know, maybe what your thoughts are about these three levels of refuge. And it might be that you're not really quite sure about taking refuge in the Buddha means to you and what you share in the discussion are your questions. Maybe you may be asking yourself how you might explore this practice of taking refuge on a deeper level. So I'll break you up into groups and we'll have around 15 minutes or so for discussion to explore this topic of taking refuge in the Buddha. Well, hi, welcome back everybody. <laughs> nice to see you here. I noticed that nobody came back. Well, it was sort of like it it took until the end of the session for people to leave, so you must have been having good 
the discussions. I hope that's what that means. So now we have a chance to get together as a whole group and to share. Um, if you have anything that came up in your group that you would like to share or that you've been reflecting on you'd like to share or if you have any kind of questions or comments, this is the time when we have a chance to do this as in a larger group. Um, so I would offer that opportunity to anyone that would like to do that. Um, you can use your, the little reaction button to uh, um, put up a, a hand so I know that you are you want to speak or you can also just kind of raise your hand since I can see everybody in the um, the screen here either way is okay to let me know that you want to say something and then you can unmute yourself and share oh Charlotte yes thank you Lyndall, your talk was so helpful, it, very clear, and um, so thank you. And um, oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. I'm still working with taking refuge in the Buddha, um, <laughs> as I was saying in my group. I. I was raised a Catholic, and so reaching out to the deity was took me many years to turn that around, to not reach outside of myself for uh, whatever to reach out for. And so um, now the the task is to reach in to reach into the Buddha. And uh, anyway, that's where I'm at. Is still. It surprises me after all these years that I would think about that. And I thought that I had uh, had left the deity behind, but obviously not. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, too, for your comments. I mean, Charlotte, I think that's probably a challenge for most of us who were raised in more of the kind of Judeo-Christian traditions to actually know what it means to take refuge without a sense of so much a sense of deity so yeah i'm not surprised that you're kind of wondering what does this mean because i sort of feel like that a little bit too and i think sometimes we kind of maybe avoid the sense of taking refuge because we're not sure how to deal with that but I think this month might be a chance for us to explore more what it means. So thanks for bringing that up. I'm sure that you're not the only one that has those kinds of <laughs> confusions and thoughts. So thank you. Oops. Ah, Sean and Bruce. One or the other, or both? <laughs> it might be both. We're both reaching for the, <laughs> both is okay. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, Linda, if you might um, repeat the last the last part of your talk, uh, the state, the awareness part of. There were the three <laughs> stages, and that was the last stage, because that 
I would like to hear that again because that's what I related to, but I there's no way I can repeat it because I have the same issue um, as Charlotte, you know, the whole Christian thing. And then I had a guru that I worshipped for, for nine years. I mean, literally bent down and kissed his feet and gave him all my money and did the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I got attracted to Buddhism because there was no deity. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Yeah. But, but it's in, but that is the piece that really got me is like, yes, that's where, that's where I can take refuge. So can you, can you just repeat that little part? Um, would you like me to repeat what Ajahn Shah said or just talk about it a little bit? Um, what Ajahn Shah said. Okay. So this is what Ajahn Shah said. He says, and this is like, I don't know, such big words. He says, We take refuge in the Buddha, but what is this Buddha? When we see with the eye of wisdom, we know that the Buddha is timeless, unborn, unrelated to any body, any history, or any place. Buddha is the ground of all being, the realization of the truth of the unmoving mind. So the Buddha was not enlightened in India. In fact, he was never enlightened was never born and never died. This timeless Buddha is our true home and our abiding place. So to me, that has the sense of refuge kind of in the timelessness of awareness itself or the present moment itself. Something like that. It takes the whole deity thing out of it. Which... It takes the whole, it, it even takes the human person of the exactly. Buddha. Exactly. The person, every personality. Yeah. It's, it's the, the big personality. Is totally. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, that is a, one, a way of thinking of it too and approaching. Mm-hmm. I similar um and mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. I wasn't sure if anyone <laughs> would if you were had something more to say. I um <laughs> went into well when in the beginning of uh, my Buddhist practice, one of the things that struck my heart uh, uh in a really wonderful way was when the teacher um said uh, Kamala said um there is nothing but you. There's no no nothing to worship. It's just you with you. And that just brought me such relief. Um, yet when I was in the throes of my cancer treatment recently, I was praying to anything I could find. Mm-hmm. God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, help me. Jesus, I don't know if you exist. If you do, please help mm-hmm. me. Um, one of the gurus I believed in years ago, I called everything I could possibly call. So mm-hmm. I'm still wishing there'd be a savior. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I say, God, wouldn't it be nice if there really was a savior of some sort, you know, so to help me? And there's not. And that's one of the problems with Buddhism. Or maybe one of the blessings of Buddha. One of the ble- yeah. <laughs> I mean, for those people who really believe there's a savior, 
that could be quite a comfort. It would be a huge comfort. Yeah. And yet I was also thinking about what Tara Brock was saying about being able to take refuge in the boundless compassion that exists. So there's a sense of being able to take refuge in something that is sacred but doesn't have any personality on it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a hard to talk about and, and so mysterious. Yet I've had times, many times, where I have taken care of myself. Mm-hmm. Where I have moved to deep compassion for myself during my cancer treatment, where mm-hmm. I turned to the suffering I was experiencing. Uh, there are many times when I've lost it um, um, mentally um, and I've pulled myself back. So that is, ref- I can I can seek refuge in that, mm-hmm. in my ability to actually find sanity within myself. Mm-hmm. And that's much better than having some deity do it for me. A deity that may or may not deliver yeah. <laughs> for reasons that we may not understand. It, yeah, it's just so, I don't know, it's so confusing for me. The deity part gets me so confused that I feel, I mean, a refuge in not having to have that sense of the deity will protect me unless I'm not good enough. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, de- the deity will help me win my football game. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Unless I've been a naughty boy, you <laughs> <laughs> <I> might not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, Bruce. Let's see. Anybody else? I think we might have time for. Maybe one one more or so. Oh, okay, yeah. Let's see. I don't know who came up first. Lillian and Lillian and Nikhil are first on my list here, so I'll start there and then and then Jean. Um, yeah, I just um, I really related to what Bruce said about sometimes almost like wishing you could believe in a savior or a god, and I've oftentimes felt that like it would be so much easier to almost be someone that could be religious and. For me, I, I can't. I just, I've never believed in a god or any sort of religion, even from when I was a little, as long as I can remember. Um, and I think it's something where as I've gotten older and like started to like realize like my own mortality and like the mortality of like the people, like my family and my friends. Um, it's something that I've almost wished I could like believe in, even though I can't. And something I think that's really helped me with um, this practice of mindfulness is being able to kind of get some of that 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 comfort with like just the nature of life um without having that belief in a god um and in some ways it's a you know it's a bit harder of a path and it takes there's more work and there's more there's more involved and it's also more for me it actually feels it feels like something real i'm not trying to delude myself into something that i you know i just don't you know for me doesn't feel real um so um yeah, that just um, pretty sad comment you made just like really resonated with me. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I remember one quote that I heard. I can't remember who said it, but that Buddhism doesn't have any gods, but it has the experience of it. So it's sort of like that sense of a feeling of a connection with the sacred, but without worshiping deities. Something like that. <laughs> so, um, Jean? Well, I just want to make a quick comment. Um, I wanted to thank you for presenting this idea of turning inward. Uh, because I can get tripped up real easily uh, in past training and thinking about uh, a deity. Uh, but turning inward and looking for uh, refuge in the Buddha from internally is, uh, I think, is going to be my excitement and my challenge mm -hmm. uh, as this month goes along. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your comments. And and I think this is going to be one of the journeys for all of us to try to see which levels of refuge, which ways of taking refuge work for us. And some of us may find meaning in all three levels. Some of us may feel more connecting with Buddha nature. I mean, we're all exploring. <laughs> and it does sound from comments that people have made that this issue of the right relationship to the idea of a deity is maybe something all many of us will be working with in understanding how to take refuge and show devotion to the Buddha without getting to a place where it isn't really what the teachings are. So I think it's time for us to finish now our discussion. Thanks, everybody, for your good comments and sharing. So let's sit together for a moment to close, taking a moment to share the merit of his, this practice with those near to us and those far. May all beings, whoever they are, share in the merit of our practice. May their hearts be at ease. May they find peace. And may they recognize and share more and, for, more, and more fully their own Buddha nature, their own basic goodness. So thanks to all for being here this morning, and you're welcome to unmute yourselves and say goodbye or whatever you would like.